preparing a sermon, I typically draw on books that have been published quite recently. Books that I've found that are more than a few years old, I tend to get really frustrated with because I'm like, these statistics are great, but they're out of date. Or this anecdote is wonderful, but it no longer feels relevant because it's not current events any longer. I make exceptions sometimes for books that I just keep hearing about. And an example from a few years ago is a book by Dr. Kristen Neff titled How to Practice Self-Compassion. How many of you have read Dr. Neff's book? Anybody? Okay, well, some of you I know have in this congregation because it's you and other people in my life I just kept hearing about. Wow, like I'm really benefiting from this self-compassion stuff that Kristen Neff is talking about. So I finally checked it out, and they were right. Um, so, you know, her book came out in 2011, but I didn't preach about it till 2018. And that first sermon on self-compassion is available in our online sermon archive for anyone interested. And when I saw that Dr. Neff had published a new book this summer titled Fierce Self-Compassion, I scheduled this Sunday service for a few months later in anticipation that it would also be of interest. And good news, it is an excellent book, and I look forward to sharing some of the highlights with you. But before I dive into the details, let me give you just a quick overview of Dr. Neff's really path-breaking work on self-compassion and how it's developed over the past two decades. Uh, Dr. Neff earned a PhD in educational psychology with a focus on human development at the University of California at Berkeley in 1997. And during that final year of graduate school, she became interested in Buddhism and she became a regular meditator and has meditated consistently since that time. And during her postdoctoral work and into her early years as a psychology professor at the University of Texas at Austin, she became curious, can I apply all this stuff I've learned in the academy about psychology and human development, can I apply that to what I'm experiencing inside myself in regard to meditation? Can I bring that same sort of scientific rigor? And she found that she could, and in 2003, she published the first theoretical paper on self-compassion and created the self-compassion scale, which has been a key part of doing measurable, you know, double-blind scientific studies on it. And part of why I'm bringing up this historical perspective is I, I think it can sometimes be helpful to pause and reflect on just how quickly things can change and how it can be difficult to remember sometimes how things used to be. If there's any sense at which it may seem obvious to many of us today, does, does it seem obvious to any of you that self-compassion is important? It's okay if it doesn't. Anybody? Like, okay, I see some hands here and there. You know that self-compassion might be beneficial to you psychologically, emotionally, physically, like for your body and your health, spiritually. Well, the value of self-compassion was much less, to, to the extent that it is obvious today, it was much less obvious 20 years ago. At that time, I mean, I can just think of a whole lot of self-critical messages that I was sort of receiving and hearing. Things like, you need to be tough. You're being too easy on him. Anybody ever hear something like that? The good news is, and it's not that that can never be helpful, but it, that, that was almost what one exclusively heard. You just need to be, you know, you need to just keep at it all the time. The good news is that times have changed, at least in part, and the value of compassion and kindness have this increasingly robust scientific evidence behind them. 
Back in the early 2000s, Dr. Neff was really the primary person researching self-compassion. Since then, the field has truly exploded and now includes over 3,000 scientific journal articles just on self-compassion with new studies being published literally daily at this point. In 2011, Neff published the first accessible version of her work um, for a popular audience. That was that book, Self-Compassion, The Proven Power of Being Kind to Yourself. Now, a decade later, she has published a new book that takes into account additional insights since that time. It's titled Fierce Self-Compassion, and in particular, the subtitle says, and I think Scarlett started to address this well in the spoken meditation, is how women can harness power uh, harness kindness to speak up, claim their power, and thrive. And while there is quite a book, uh, quite a bit in this book, specifically focused on women and how to dismantle misogyny within oneself, how to dismantle systemic misogyny, and that's really of interest to all of us, and you know, women in particular, all people as well. There's a ton, especially the multiple, multiple practices in this book of how to do fierce self-compassion and tender self-compassion as well that is of deep benefit to all, regardless of gender identity. And I think part of it for her, it seems clear, coming out of some of our recent politics and the Me Too movement, she just personally felt, I want to specifically target this book to women. And I really respect that. But I, would, uh, I think it would be regretful if men didn't read the book. Like you're, you're really missing something or whatever your gender identity is. Let's not get lost in the binary, right? To me, the title alone is really worth the price of admission. Just the idea of fierce self-compassion. We could almost stop there. That's a powerful insight that there is a full spectrum of what compassion can encompass. Not only sensitivity and gentleness and warmth and the like, but also strength and power and forcefulness, a heartfelt intensity. You can think of how your compassion, your love for someone could lead you to act ferociously on their behalf. Or the fierce self-compassion is how much you learn to set boundaries and act ferociously as well on your own behalf when needed to, as Nicole said, put on that own your own oxygen mask first. Along these lines, there's an important quote from the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. that outlines the strength and power of love, that love is not just about, it's not just something tender. It has strength and power. And I think there's real parallels to the way that compassion has both tenderness and ferocity. Here's the quote from Dr. King. He said that power without love is reckless and abusive. And, and love without power is sentimental and anemic. Power at its best is love implementing the demands of justice, and justice at its best is power correcting anything that stands in the way of love. I think we could easily substitute compassion for love in that quote for Dr. King and see a similar dynamic to what Dr. King, what Dr. Neff is pointing to with her idea of fierce self-compassion. Similarly, Dr. Cornell West has said that justice is what love looks like in public. You know, so if you really love something, you want to set up systems that are loving too. Justice is what love looks like in public. And intimacy is what love feels like in private. Neff's work on self-compassion, again, traces a similar pattern. She points us toward the fullness of what compassion can do, that it can help us tenderly take care of ourselves to meet our own 
needs, as Scarlett uh, addressed. But it can also create a fierce commitment to do the work of justice, to create more compassionate systems and structures. And I want to invite us to explore each of these briefly in turn. Let's start with ourselves. When physical distancing restrictions started in March 2020 due to the pandemic, one of the things I made a commitment to do was to show up for people at least once during every week in a really open way that would equip people for this really difficult time. And so I, I started, a, um, when we met for 24 weeks straight, we started a Tuesday night group that met for 90 minutes. It was just open on Zoom. And that class drew frequently and intentionally from the Mindful Self-Compassion Workbook, which is co-authored by Kristen Neff and another real leader in this field named Christopher Garman. And so, and I recommend that book. If you're looking for, hey, I want to do some more of this, check out the Mindful Self-Compassion Workbook if you want to dive deeper. For now, I'd like to invite us to ex experience one example of the many practices in this book, and we're going to do a tender self-compassion, and then we're going to do a fierce self-compassion so you can feel the difference. Uh, so if you're open to it, I invite you to find a position in which you can be relaxed yet alert. As I lead you through this, pay attention to your body. Do whatever your body needs and is comfortable in this moment, but I'll, I'll give you some suggestions, but they're, they're only always that. I invite you to find a position again in which you are relaxed yet alert. Take a deep breath in and let it go. Relax your shoulders. Perhaps put your feet flat on the floor and rest your hands easily in your lap. If you feel comfortable doing so, close your eyes. And I invite you to bring to mind a situation in your life that's difficult, that is unsatisfactory. Something perhaps in the mild to moderate range. We're not trying to work with anything that's going to be overwhelming for you this morning. So something that's just mild to moderate suffering in your life right now. Maybe you've had a situation recently that made you feel inadequate in some way. Maybe something made you feel quite sad about something that's happening in your life. What comes to mind that's difficult or unsatisfactory? As a difficult or unsatisfactory problem comes to mind, give yourself permission to feel your way into it. What feelings are coming up for you? Noting as well any uneasiness in your body. Where are you perhaps feeling discomfort the most in your body related to the situation? And as we enter into this practice more fully, I'm going to invite you to experiment with saying three different self-compassion phrases in turn silently to yourself. First, with this situation in mind of difficulty, try saying silently to yourself, slowly, calmly, compassionately, this is a moment of suffering. Just acknowledging that. Being mindfully present of what you are experiencing. This is a moment of suffering. And with each of these phrases, if the language doesn't feel quite right to you, you're welcome to adapt it to what works better for you. Second, try saying silently to yourself, suffering is a part of life. It's part of being alive. It's part of being human. 
Here we're reminding ourselves that we are connected to the common human condition. Suffering is a part of life. We all face challenges in our lives. Third and finally, try setting an intention. May I be kind to myself in this moment. May I be kind to myself. If you feel comfortable doing so, try placing one hand on heart center and another hand on your gut, your solar plexus, or anywhere else. You know, if there's another place in your body that feels discomfort, you can put a hand there. Just offering yourself soothing touch. May I be kind to myself. You can even try saying to yourself, I love you. I love you. If these phrases we've been using don't feel quite right, maybe imagine sitting across from you is a dear friend that is having the same problem as you. What would you say to that person, heart to heart, to soothe them, to comfort them? And then ask yourself, can I offer the same message to myself that I would offer so easily to my friend? Now, as you feel ready, I invite you to gently open your eyes and return your attention to the room. Pieces of that practice are available to you as something you can kind of have in your back pocket. You know, it's not actually that weird to just almost anywhere in the grocery store to just kind of put your hand, I don't know, some of you may think you're having a heart attack or something, but you know, just kind of put your hand on your heart and just take a deep breath. And you can say to yourself, really almost anywhere, wow, this is really hard. This is, a, this is a moment of suffering. And then remind yourself, this is not like you being cursed. This is not unique to you. Life is hard. All humans suffer. And then set that intention. You can't force it, but we really can incline ourselves. We really can shift ourselves. May I be kind to myself in this moment. And as Nicole talked about that, putting your own oxygen mask on first so that you can help others, at least I have found powerfully in my own life, and Neff has found this in her social scientific research, our capacity to help others is often so much greater when we've been kind to ourselves recently than we have this depth in which we can authentically show up for others. So tender self-compassion may seem simple, but it really can create a, a significant shift toward health and healing for ourselves, for others, and for the world. Now, what we've been exploring so far is tender self-compassion. That was kind of the fruit of the first 10 years of Dr. Neff's research. So now I want to invite us to shift into what she's been learning in the second decade of her work. And that is part of, you know, getting in touch with what women need and misogyny and the need to dismantle systems of oppression. She's like, I don't just need tender self-compassion. I need some fierce self-compassion. So let's um, talk a little bit about that. One of the most common examples of what that looks like is drawing boundaries to protect yourself from burnout or what's sometimes called compassion fatigue. Things like, you know, I really appreciate you asking me to do that, but I, I just can't take on any more commitments at this time. You know, 
I'm going to say no for now, but I will let you know if anything changes and I, I can do this in the future. I would really like to help, but I'm going to be honest with you. I, I've got to take care of myself right now or I'm not going to be pleasant to be around. You know, something like that, or whatever version of those phrases. And the advantage of the transparency in that last example is that being honest with somebody that I'm doing this because I need to be compassionate with myself, that can give them permission to do likewise and to be kind to themselves about the reality of their needs and their limits. In that light, let's try a fierce self-compassion break. So we just did a tender self-compassion break. Let's do a fierce self-compassion break. So this will be the second and final guided meditation we'll do. So again, find a position in which you can be relaxed yet alert. And I tell meditation students this all the time. It's so important. A relaxation is so important to meditation. Relaxing your body and relaxing your expectations about what this meditation should be like and just opening to what it is like. So finding a position in which you're relaxed yet alert taking another deep breath in and letting it go. Again, relaxing your shoulders or any other point of tension in your body, your feet flat on the floor, your hands resting easily in your lap. And if you're comfortable doing so, closing your eyes. And this time, think of a situation in your life where you're feeling like your needs aren't being met. Maybe you're not taking enough time for yourself. Maybe it's a part of a job that you dislike. Maybe there's just a job you dislike. Maybe you're spending your free time doing things that don't make you happy. Calling up that situation in your mind's eye. Allow yourself to feel whatever emotions are arising. Perhaps exhaustion is coming up or boredom, resentment or hopelessness. Noting as well any uneasiness in your body. Where do you feel it the most in regard to this situation of an unmet need? And with this situation in your life where your needs aren't being met, see if you can name the specific unmet need. Is it a need for rest, for more peace, for more learning or stimulation, for more fun and excitement, for more connection? Is it a need for acceptance or validation, boundaries or greater fulfillment or whatever you've identified? Once you name your unmet need, let go of the particulars of this situation and just focus on that unmet need. And we're gonna experiment with another set of phrases. First, try saying to yourself, again, softly, with compassion, but with clarity, this is what I need, this is what my need is. Give yourself permission to really own that. Feel it in your body. This is really important to me and my needs matter. This is what I need.
Second, try saying, I will honor my needs as well as the needs of others. Everyone's important. All humans have needs, but that includes me too. Life includes receiving and giving. I will honor my needs as well as the needs of others. And if you feel comfortable doing so, again, place one hand on heart center and another hand on your solar plexus, your gut, or anywhere else that feels soothing. And try saying this third phrase to yourself. I commit to fulfilling my needs as best I can. Breathe that in. I will commit to fulfilling my needs as best I can. I deserve to be happy. Again, if you're having difficulty finding the right words, imagine sitting across from you is someone you really care about that is really wrestling with an unfulfilled, unmet need. What would you say to that person to help them respect their own needs, to prioritize putting in the time and effort that they might be happy and well and peaceful and at ease? Can you offer that same message to yourself that you would so readily offer your friend about their unmet needs? And as we prepare to end this meditation, bring your attention to the feeling of your hands resting on your heart and your gut. Can you feel that at the deepest level, the desire to balance meeting your needs and the needs of others, that it doesn't come from a place of deficiency. It comes from a place of abundance, of an abundant heart. May all be filled with loving kindness. May all be peaceful and at ease. May everyone live with an open heart. At each point, that includes each of us. May we honor our needs and the needs of others. And as you feel ready, I invite you to gently open your eyes and return your attention to the room. I'm grateful that Dr. Neff has continued to explore the full spectrum of compassion. And if there were more time, we could explore the many other practices in her book for using compassion, for example, to motivate our work for social justice and more. If you're curious to learn more about what we've explored this morning, you know, her book is Fierce Self-Compassion. She also has a website, self-compassion.org, and there are lots of guided meditations for free on that website. The monetary price is zero. It just requires setting aside the time to actually do it. As the saying goes, practice doesn't make perfect, but it does make more permanent. 
the more we do these things, we, it becomes more second nature to be kind to ourselves and others. For now, as I move toward my conclusion, let me address the most frequent criticism of self-compassion or the most frequent worry. Do you know the term concern trolling? When people are like, they're kind of just trolling with concerns, you know, like, I'm just really worried about this. It's like, are you? Okay. Um, the most frequent criticism is that it's self-indulgent, that it's narcissistic, or that it's going to destroy your edge, right? You're going to be just too nice all the time, so you're going to lose your edge, can creating complacency. Of course, anything can be abused. Anything can be taken to some sort of ridiculous extreme. But the good news is this is not theoretical. There are 20 years, thousands of scientific articles that are pointing overwhelmingly that this tends to lead towards health and healing, not toward complacency and um, losing your edge. Or to phrase it in an even fiercer way, Audre Lorde wrote that caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It is self-preservation, and that is an act of political warfare. Caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It is self-preservation, and that is an act of political warfare. Now, she said that in particular as a black lesbian, you know, fighting against multiple oppressions. But self-compassion is one among many practices that can help any of us resist being exploited by capitalism, by all of the different systems of oppression in which we live. Ultimately, as our UU Seventh Principle affirms, we are all part of an interdependent, interconnected web. Compassion and care for ourselves is part of what gives us the capacity to care for others. It's, it's, you know, it's one thing to just say, put on your own oxygen mask first. This is concretely what you can be doing when you're putting on your oxygen mask. May I be well. May I be peaceful and at ease. I can acknowledge that this is a really hard situation right now but that it's not unique to me. All humans have moments of suffering. May I be kind to myself in this moment. Compassion and care for others can also get us out of our limited sense of self and acting together with others can help us create systems and structures and institutions that are more compassionate and give us all the time and space to meet our needs. In that spirit, we're only gonna hear it instrumentally, but our, our hymn of response is Go Lift It Up. I'm just going to read those lyrics to you because I know you don't have the uh, hymnal in front of you. This hymn is typically sung for others. Here are the words. Go lift it up. Love bless your way. Moonlight, starlight, guide your journey into peace in the brightness of day. And I think it's a worthy and good thing to sing it for others. But as you listen to Nicole play this through once, I want you to also silently consider setting that intention for yourself. Set intention for yourself that you yourself may go lifted up, that you yourself, that love may bless your way. Moonlight, starlight, wish for yourself that that might guide your journey into peace and into the brightness of day.